as I have many times said, coincidence is not a kosher word. Those of you who have been following on Tuesday night know that we just finished our study in Galatians. And then we have today's Torah portion, which forms a brilliant coda to our study in Galatians. So what I'm going to do is talk about the Torah portion in the context of what we did in Galatians for about the last four weeks. The big deal in Galatians, as you all know, is the question of Gentile circumcision. We went through that a long time in Galatians, but I want to talk about it now in the context of God's plan. God's plan has always been to bring the Gentiles into his kingdom. I will give the gospel in Genesis. The names of the patriarchs, Adam, Seth, Enosh, Kenan, Mahalalel, Yared, Enoch, Methuselah, Lamech, and Noah. Adam means man, Seth means appointed, Enosh means mortal, Kenan means sorrow, Mahalalel means the beloved God, Yared means come down, Enoch means teaching, Methuselah his death shall bring, Lamech despair, and Noah rest. And you can look those up in a Hebrew root dictionary, I've done all that homework for you. If you take those names and form them into a sentence, what it says, man is appointed mortal sorrow, the beloved God shall come down, teaching. His death shall bring the despairing comfort. That's obviously the gospel, and that is clear back in Genesis. So the idea of God redeeming the entire creation is not a New Testament concept. It's something that has been wired into Scripture from the very beginning. Let's talk about the feasts. The cycle of the feasts, which is in the Torah, has also been set up from the beginning. The feasts are not Jewish festivals. They're God's appointed times, and they should be Christian festivals. So let's start with Passover. The first time we did it was for freedom from Egypt where God takes the nation out of Egypt and creates a nation in that process. The next thing that happens is unleavened bread. And that's where we begin to get the sin out of us. And you remember a couple of weeks ago, I did a riff on bread. You remember bread shows up in Genesis 3, immediately after the fall, where people chow up until that point had been the fruit of the trees, fruits and nuts. After the fall, it became bread. So bread becomes a symbol of fall and rebellion. So when God takes us out of the world, the first thing he does is gets the leaven out of the bread, leaven representing sin. The next thing he does is he takes us into the wilderness and feeds us with manna, bread of heaven. The next thing that happens is, of course, the Messiah comes down and he says he's the true bread. So you have this cycle of bread. Then comes first fruits. And that's the beginning of the harvest. Then comes Shavuot. That's where we get guidance from God. We come into God's presence and he gives us guidance and teaching. First cycle around, he gave it to Moses where it was written down. The next thing is Yom Teruah. The Jews don't know why that's a holiday. If you read the rabbinic literature, nothing happened on Yom Teruah. What is that? Stand by. We'll get there in a minute. The next one is Yom Kippur. That's where God accepted the repentance of Israel and gave them the second set of tablets. The next feast is Sukkot. 
And what that represents is Israel in love following God into the unknown, the wilderness. So what happens is God says, come to me. Israel says, we'll come. They don't know where they're going. They don't know how long it's going to take. They don't know what they're going to eat, but they trust in God and they follow him in trust. It's the first cycle. The next cycle will start there at Sukkot. That's when Yeshua was born. That's when the Messiah came into the world. So then we come around to Passover. That's when the Messiah was sacrificed. And that's when he brings freedom not only to Israel, but to the whole world. The next one is first fruits. That's when he raises from the dead and he becomes the first of the reborn or the first of the resurrection. First fruits indicates there's going to be a whole lot more to come. Then the next thing we have is Shavuot, Pentecost. That's when God again gives us his guidance and direction. He gives it in a person. So we have it written down in the book by Moses. Then he sends a person to come along beside us and help us and teach us. But in both cases on that same day, we get guidance from God personally. So the next thing is Yom Teruah. Remember the first Yom Teruah, they don't know why it happened. Stand by. That's the seventh trumpet, and that's when Yeshua is going to return and the king is going to come back. So the next thing we've got is Yom Kippur. Come to Jesus meeting. So Yeshua comes back on Yom Teruah, and ten days later we have this massive come to Jesus meeting where those people who are gods are going to be accepted in and forgiven. Then the next thing is Sukkot again, where God himself, Yeshua, is going to tabernacle among us. All of those should be Christian feasts and they should be celebrated. And in fact, in the early church they were. So in Corinthians, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 5, 6 through 8, your boasting is not good. Do you not know that a little leaven leavens the whole lump? Cleanse out the old leaven that you may be a new lump, as you really are unleavened. For Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. Let us therefore celebrate the festival. Which festival? Passover. Let us therefore celebrate the festival, not with the old leaven, the leaven of malice and evil, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. So the early church, apparently, at least in Corinth, was celebrating Passover. So what I'm saying to you is there is no plan B in God's economy. It was always intended that the Gentiles were going to come in. It was always intended that there was going to be a division between Israel and the Gentiles. There are slightly different rules. So what we have today in the Leviticus reading, and you will see this over and over in the Torah, Leviticus 16.19. This is talking about Yom Kippur. We read it today. And it shall be a statute to you forever that in the seventh month, on the tenth day of the month, you shall afflict yourselves and shall do no work, either the native or the stranger who sojourns among you. And I am suggesting to you that as the kingdom of God is established, the strangers who sojourn among us are going to be all who come to Christ. But the point is, the kingdom right then is just Israel. 
And what he says is, Yom Kippur is not only for the Israelites, it's also for the sojourner and stranger who dwells among you. For on this day shall atonement be made for you to cleanse you. You shall be clean before the Lord for all your sin. It is a Sabbath of solemn rest to you. You shall afflict yourself. It is a statute forever. For who? The native born and for the sojourner. Go down to Leviticus 10. And there we're talking about blood. If anyone of the house of Israel or the sojourner who sojourns among you, who? House of Israel or the sojourner, if any among them eats any blood, I will set my face against that person who eats blood and I will cut him off from among his people. For the life of the flesh is in the blood. I have given it for you on the altar to make atonement for your souls. For it is the blood that makes atonement by the life. Therefore I have said to the people of Israel, no person among you shall eat blood, neither any stranger who sojourner among you shall eat blood. Same rule. And by the way, the prohibition against eating blood goes all the way back to Genesis 9, which is after the flood. And God's talking to Noah. And he says, all right, used to be vegetarians, now you can eat anything that moves. But you shall not eat the blood. All the way back in Genesis 9. Leviticus 18. This is the whole list of prohibited sexual relationships. One of which, by the way, involves blood again. And that's the normal woman's cycle. So blood not only involves what you eat, but it also involves your relationships between man and women. I'm not going to read them all, but I'll read it at the end. Do not make yourselves unclean by any of these things. For by all of these, the nations I am driving out before you have become unclean. And the land became unclean, so I punished its iniquity. And the land vomited out its inhabitants. But you shall keep my statutes and my rules and do none of these abominations, either the native or the stranger who dwells among you. Notice a pattern here. There's only one law. There's only one Torah. There's not different standards for different people. There's not different standards at different times. There's only one. Down to Numbers. Numbers 15, 27 through 31. If one person sins unintentionally, he shall offer a female goat a year old and so forth. And so you know the laws of unintentional sin. Down to verse 29. You shall have one law. For him who does anything unintentionally, for him who is native among the people of Israel, and for the stranger who sojourns among you. Numbers 19, verse 10. This is the law of the red heifer. Strange law. Nobody really understands it. Myself very much included, by the way. And the one who gathers the ashes of the heifer shall wash his clothes and be unclean until evening. And this shall be a perpetual statute for the people of Israel and for the stranger who sojourns among them. Again, one law. Down to Deuteronomy 31. Moses' big wrap-up. And Moses commanded them. And this is at the end of every seven years, at the set time of the year of release, at the Feast of Booths, when all Israel comes to appear before the Lord your God in the place that he will choose. You shall read this law before all Israel in their hearing. This law being the Torah. This is the wrap-up. Verse 12. Assemble the people, men, women, and little ones, and the sojourner within your towns. 
that they may hear and learn to fear the Lord your God and be careful to do all the words of this law and that their children who have not known it may hear and learn to fear the Lord your God as long as you live in the land that you are going over the Jordan to possess. Notice the pattern. You have all of these things, and in every case, it applies equally to the native-born and to those who would dwell among them, and I will make an amendation here, to those who would come into the kingdom of God. So at the time the Torah is written, the kingdom of God is Israel. Small place. The kingdom of God is going to get much bigger. And the teaching is going to be exactly the same for the Israelite and for those Gentiles who would join the nation. Another piece of scripture, and I used this when we were talking about the Sabbath. Remember, the Sabbath is forever and forever. And I talked about this a couple weeks ago. Isaiah 56, verses 6 and 7. And the foreigners who join themselves to the Lord to minister to him, to love the name of the Lord and to his servants... Everyone who keeps the Sabbath and does not profane it and holds fast my covenant, these I will bring to my holy mountain and make them joyful in my house of prayer. Their burnt offerings and their sacrifices will be accepted on my altar, for my house shall be called a house of prayer for all peoples. The idea has always been everybody. As many as will come, there will be some who won't come, but as many as will come, it has always been open to them, starting at Sinai, starting back in the garden, as a matter of fact, because he lays out the plan of redemption immediately after the fall in the garden. So, what about circumcision? Well, it's really interesting. Clear back in Exodus, immediately as they were going out, in Exodus 12, Verses 43 for 49. And the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, This is the statute of the Passover. No foreigner shall eat of it. But every slave who is bought for money may eat of it after you have circumcised. No foreigner or hired servant may eat it. It shall be eaten in one house. You shall not take any of the flesh outside the house, and you shall not break any of its bones. So there's a difference now between the stranger and the native-born Israelite. But wait. 47. All the congregation of Israel shall keep it. If the stranger shall sojourn with you, and would keep the Passover of the Lord, let all his males be circumcised. Then he may come near and keep it. He shall be as a native of the land, but no uncircumcised person shall eat of it. There shall be one law for the native and for the stranger who sojourns among you. Notice, one law. And if, 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 if the stranger desires to keep the Passover, then he must be circumcised. But notice there isn't anything in there that says the stranger who sojourns among you must be circumcised. This is the only place it's mentioned. So if you will, the cutout, no pun intended, cutout for Gentiles with regard to adult circumcision is part of the Torah itself. So the Council of Jerusalem, let me read what they actually said, okay, in light of what I have just said. We're in Acts 15, 16 through 21. 
This is James. He's quoting. After this I will return and I will rebuild the tent of David that has fallen. I will rebuild its ruins and I will restore it. That the remnant of mankind may seek the Lord and all Gentiles who are called by my name. So the idea in the prophets is always been that the Gentiles were going to be able to come in. So verse 17 again. That the remnant of mankind may seek the Lord and all the Gentiles who are called by my name, says the Lord who makes these things known from of old. Notice that James is saying this has always been the plan. Starting back in Genesis, right? This is not something new. Verse 19. Therefore, my judgment is that we should not trouble those of the Gentiles who turn to God, but should write to them to abstain from things polluted by idols, from sexual immorality, from what has been strangled, and from blood. For from ancient generations Moses has had in every city those who proclaim him, for he has read every Sabbath in the synagogue. What James is doing here is he is citing what I just read in Leviticus. Except the no idols part. That goes back to the Ten Commandments. So, no idols. Sexual immorality. I just read that. Remember, we had the list of stuff we read of forbidden sexual relationships, and it said in the Torah, both the stranger who dwells among you and the native-born, nobody shall do these things. James is simply quoting Leviticus. Things strangled. What that is talking about is an animal that dies without being bled. If an animal dies by being strangled, the blood is still in it. So this is a blood issue. So from things strangled and from blood. Oh, didn't we just read that in Leviticus? So what James is doing is he is simply quoting Moses. And he is saying... All those Gentiles who are trying to come into the kingdom of God do Moses. And oh, by the way, there is an exception with respect to circumcision. The only thing they can't do with respect to circumcision is if they don't get circumcised, they can't eat the Passover. That's it. Notice that the Council of Jerusalem does not do anything new. They are simply interpreting Moses in light of the current situation, which is what Paul does in Galatians. Moses covers this whole thing. We just read it, and there's nothing new here. So the question becomes, what part of the Torah applies to Gentiles? The answer is all of it, every bit. I'm rereading a book called Theological Origins of Modernity. I've read it before, reading it again. What it talks about is how we got where we are starting in about the 1200s. And he really should have started a lot earlier. Because in the Hebrew understanding, as it's written in the Bible, there isn't a lot of thought about, well, gee, is he really omnipotent? I mean, can he do this? What about this? What about this? It's all about a relationship. So God introduces himself to Israel. We form a relationship and a covenant, and they live under that covenant, and they come to know God. When it hits the Greek world, and God bless the Greeks, they are analytical. So they're trying to figure this out. 
as opposed to come up with a relationship. Now, don't get me wrong. Lots of Sunday Christians have a great relationship with God. I'm not suggesting they don't. But the point is, the Sunday church is sort of a result of this collision. And what you have is philosophy and trying to figure things out and stuff. Whereas, biblically, you simply walk with God. It's a relationship. So what we have is things like dispensationalism. And that's the idea that God treats different people differently at different times. And if you read dispensationalism, which is, I believe, nonsense, you've got the dispensation of innocence, which is before the fall. Then you've got the dispensation of this. and That's nonsense. There's always been one Torah, one law, if you will, one teaching on the part of God. There are no dispensations. Then we have this idea of the church age, where God puts the Jews off to one side and we now deal with the church. That, again, is nonsense. And the fact that we have a separation between the church and the synagogue is a satanic victory. There was never intended to be one. Now, there is one, don't get me wrong. But that was not ever intended by God. It was intended that Israel was to be a nation of priests. Now, Israel goes off the rails all by themselves. They go into idolatry and all sorts of stuff. So they've got their problems, and then the church goes off the rails this way, and we've got our problems. But the idea was it was all to be one kingdom of God. There wasn't to be a separate set of rules for this set of people versus that set of people. One other thing that I've seen referenced in lots of books is, well, the moral law is still in effect, but the ceremonial law has been done away with. Let me tell you what the ceremonial law is. Safety regulations to come into the presence of God without dying. That's what we are calling the ceremonial law. It's industrial safety and hygiene. If you come into the presence of God without doing the things that he says to do, you're going to die. So if you're going to come into the presence of God, you need to do these things so you can do it safely. And by the way, some of that has to do with blood. Some of that has to do with sacrifice and all that kind of stuff. None of that's been done away with. Now, we can't do it right now because there's no temple. But prophecy in Scripture assures us that there will be a temple again. And when all of that's going to kick off and start up again, coming into the presence of God is going to require the same safety measures that it has always required. There is no difference. The differences that we see are man-made. Now, Israel has made their differences. What they've done is they have got their oral law ticked up so that they won't eat with Gentiles and a whole bunch of other things. So that's separated them. And then we've set up our own stuff where this doesn't apply, this doesn't apply, this doesn't apply, and you can do all this stuff because all that's done away with. Neither one of those is true. And I'm not throwing rocks at either one. We both go off the rails. So, as I say, this is a great coda to our Galatians study. For those of you who were there Tuesday night, you can see how all this fits together. For those of you who weren't Tuesday night, this in 25 words or less is what we spent several weeks studying. And there are no coincidences. The idea that we finished up Galatians and then we have this Torah portion is not a coincidence. Which is why, by the way, I'm taking you through all this and reminding those of you who were there on Tuesday night what we said and bringing the rest of you up to speed.
The council in Jerusalem did nothing new. They simply applied Torah correctly to a situation. What do we do with these Gentiles? And the rabbis have this wrong too, by the way. What they say is, well, these are the Noahide laws. No, it's not. It's Torah. Just read it. Nothing Noahide about it. So both the Gentiles and the synagogue misunderstand what's happening in Acts chapter 15. All they are doing is applying Torah correctly to the situation. What do we do with all these Gentiles who have come in, joined themselves to God? What do we do? We tell them to do this part of following Moses, then we tell them to go into the synagogue and listen to it read. Moses will teach you the rest. Entirely straightforward. It's only people who flop around like a bunch of crawfish that try and make something different out of it. It's very simple and very straightforward. Moses, the Holy Spirit, one Torah, one teaching, Jew, Gentile, Hebrew, free, slave, male, female, one teaching for everybody. So learn Moses. Shama